justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so it's not upon us to gain the place back. He gives us the place. Our part is faith. So we have faith in the blood. And you know, that's why it says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, before we were ever here, before any of this was created for us, Jesus was the lamb that was slain. And it was in his his volunteering to say, I will go, that God could use that as a precedent when it came now to implementing this this plan of redemption in the earth, and he looked at Abraham, and he said to Abraham, I need a sacrifice, and he said, I'll be willing to sacrifice my very own son. And God said, your intention to do that is all that I need. Why? Because there was a precedent set by the Son of God in heaven that said, I will go. And because he was not one that would lie, God knew that it would happen, and he took the same precedent, and he said to Abraham, I'll provide a ram for you. You know, that was Jesus' sacrifice, that ram in the thicket that was sacrificed. So now there was blood shed, and life came, and restoration took place, and the plan continued all the way through till when Jesus came, and Jesus blood was shed. We read in Hebrews 9.12 that it is not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. His own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. See, we're talking about eternal blood now. It's not just year to year that the sacrifice will be made. It's eternal And it says, an eternal redemption for the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Wow. He says, how much more shall the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Well, now we see that the blood that was of bulls and goats was enough to cover them to be able to come into the presence of God. They applied it externally, and it would last for one year. But every year, they had to do it over and over and over again. Now, the blood of Jesus cleanses, and it's an eternal redemption. But not only that, it doesn't just cleanse the outside It goes to the inside. It penetrates the inside of us. It penetrates the heart. It penetrates our thoughts. It cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Well, what kind of dead works are those? It's not just what happened in Adam because we're so far disconnected from that. We don't even know that that was sin that was, you know, happened. It cleanses us from everything that we know about us. (laughs) What is our conscience? Well, our conscience is that little thing, you know, in our head 
It's the thoughts that happen when we know we've done right or we've done wrong or that keep us on the right path or that convict us when we're wrong. And that's really great if your conscience is renewed to the word of God because then you're always moving forward. But if it isn't, and those thoughts are not just from God, those thoughts can be from you or those thoughts can be planted in your head by somebody else growing up or they can even be from the enemy. And what happens if our conscience receives those and we start to meditate on those and think those thoughts about ourselves that maybe aren't even true? Well, now our conscience is leading us into a place of condemnation, not conviction. And the enemy uses that, and he uses that in the life of Christians. Condemnation has been a very effective tool of the enemy. <laughs> very effective. So here it says, the blood of Jesus will cleanse our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you know if our conscience is affected by all of the things of our past? It really affects how we serve God. And so then I go over to Revelation 12.10. So thoughts can come from me, they can come from the Holy Spirit, they can come from God, or they can come from the devil. They can come from all kinds of places. And a stronghold is developed by repeated thinking of thoughts. So I can be in a stronghold that holds me in the plan of God, or I can be caught up in a stronghold of the enemy simply because of my thoughts. Well, Revelation 12.10 says this, out of the New King James, it says... Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before God day and night, has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. Well, that's a powerful scripture. God wanted me to know that. He wanted me to know that the blood was so powerful that it overcomes the accuser. And when he told me that he was the accuser, he's telling me something about one of the strategies that the enemy will use against us. He's telling us that the accuser comes to us and he accuses the brethren. That's us. That's a Christian. That's a person who is supposed to be bought and purchased by the blood, having their conscience cleansed. And yet the enemy is coming, accusing them night and day. Do you know that the enemy doesn't ever take a day off? He doesn't even take a lunch break. <laughs> he is accusing. He is working. He is ever trying to separate us from what Jesus did for us. So, now I get all caught up in self-consciousness instead of God-consciousness. Now I get all caught up in sin-consciousness instead of righteousness-consciousness, if I listen to the enemy. And it's important that we recognize the strategy. The Bible points out and tells us that he's the father of lies. He's a liar, and he works with lies. It says that he steals, he kills, and he destroys. That's how, what his work looks like. And it also tells us he's an accuser. So condemnation and sin consciousness is definitely a strategy of the enemy. And it hinders us. It hinders us in our walk with God. And if we live under this sense of condemnation, 
then we don't understand and recognize the power of the blood. <laughs> the power of the blood that cleanses our conscience. It cleanses it. It cleans our conscience. Wow. So what happens if we know we've done wrong? You know, the enemy can bring those faults and thoughts and failures and all of those things back so that we can rehearse them over and over again. But is there an answer for that? Oh, absolutely. 1 John 1.9. Go with me there. 1 John 1.9, out of the Amplified, says this. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sin, then he is faithful and just and true to his own nature and promises and will forgive our sins, dismiss our lawlessness, and continuously cleanse us from all unrighteousness, everything that is not in conformity to his will in purpose, thought, and action. Wow. See, we understand that and we sing it. God's a faithful God. He's faithful. Do you believe he's faithful? Absolutely. And this scripture says he is faithful to do what? To forgive. (laughs) That's right. And sometimes Christians get in the place where we're so conscious of what we've done in our own sin that we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. You know, Pastor Mark talked about it last week. And if you weren't here in the, in the uh, message, make sure you go back and listen to it because he talked about whoever sins you retain will be retained. Where God can forgive something, if we retain it, we still walk in that place of suffering from it. But... There's forgiveness that's available for us. And he says this, how do we get it? If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sin. He doesn't say we walk in pride and we say we have no sin. He says, no, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and true to his own nature and promises, and he will forgive our sin, dismiss it, cleanse us from all unrighteousness in purpose, thought, and action. And I like that. He cleanses our thoughts with the blood of Jesus. So God is faithful. And if we've gone through this process, then we are cleansed. According to this scripture, if we're cleansed from all unrighteousness, then what does that make us? Righteous. Righteous. And you know, sometimes we think it's prideful to say, I am righteous. But it's not. Not when the blood did that for me. Not when I understand that being unrighteous holds me down, but being and claiming that I am righteous because of the blood lifts me to the place that he provided for me. Well, then there's 1 John 3.21. You know, one of our greatest strengths will be when we recognize that we have fallen, to admit it, to receive the blood, and to get right back on track. That's one of the greatest things. In fact, the Bible tells us that a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. Why? Because he understands his righteousness is not of himself. It's because of the blood. 1 John 3.21 says, And beloved, if our conscience or our hearts do not accuse us, If they do not make us feel guilty and condemn us, we have confidence. 
You know, when we're stuck in unrighteousness and that kind of thinking, we lose our confidence. He says, we have confidence, complete assurance, and boldness. You know, God needs us to be bold. And bold before God, it says. And we receive from him whatever we ask because we watchfully obey his orders, we observe his suggestions and injunctions, we follow his plan for us, and habitually practice what is pleasing to him. And this is his order, his command, his injunction, that we should believe and put faith in and trust in and adhere to and rely on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and that we should love one another just as he commands us. Wow. So self-condemnation affects our faith. It'll affect our boldness. It'll affect our desire to come into the presence of God. It'll affect our walk. It'll affect how we serve him. But he's cleansed our conscience so that we can serve him. Cleansed our conscience from what? From dead works. You know, it's the devil that'll try and bring those back up all the time. He's the accuser. Let's go to an example, and it's in 2 Timothy 1.4. This is the example of the Apostle Paul. But before he was the Apostle Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus did a lot of stuff, against the church even. But here's what he says in 2 Timothy 1.1. It says, I, Paul, an apostle, special messenger of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, favor, and spiritual blessing, mercy, and heart peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Now this doesn't sound like a man who's stuck in self-condemnation. This sounds like a man who understands that he's been redeemed by the blood. He's talking about the love of God, the grace and the mercy of God. And he goes on and he says this, I thank God, whom I worship with a pure conscience, in the spirit of my fathers, when I without ceasing remember you night and day in my prayers, and when as I recall your tears, I yearn to see you, that I may be filled with joy. How interesting that Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, who could have been replaying all the things that his previous life did, now sees himself in Christ. How could he do that? Well, he recognized the power in the blood. And this is the same Paul that was Saul, that was killing Christians, that was persecuting the early church, that was standing by, taking the coats of those who were stoning Stephen, he was cheering them on as they threw rocks at Stephen. He was standing there in the midst of all of it, participating. He had letters in his hands to kill Christians uh, everywhere that he was going when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, when there was a bright light and a revelation. And part of that revelation was that Jesus came with his blood for restoration, that it was really true that we could be redeemed. And Paul had to receive that for himself and say, I'm going to put all that behind me and I'm going to walk in this truth. And we know that he did because we read in Philippians 3. In Philippians 3.12, it says, Not that I have now attained to this ideal or have already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of and grasp and make my own 
that for which Christ Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made me his own. He understood that there was a partnership between him and God, that God needed him as much as he needed God. And that's the divine partnership that we've been brought back into. But that's the partnership that the enemy doesn't want us to experience if he can hold us down with a uh, sin consciousness. And it goes on and it says, I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made my own yet, but one thing I do, it's my one aspiration for getting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul said he had to forget the past to be able to move into the future. He had to forget the past and leave it behind. And that's why he could say, I worship God with a pure conscience. In verse 14, it says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize, or the supreme and heavenly prize, to which God in Christ is calling us upward. So let those of us who are spiritually mature and full-grown have this mind and hold these convictions. And if in any respect you have a different mind, attitude of mind, God will make it clear to you also, only let us hold true to what we have already attained and walk and order our lives by that. Brethren, together follow my example and observe those who live after the pattern we have set to you. Do you think if God could use the Apostle Paul, that he could use you and me? <laughs> Absolutely. Do you think he wants to? Absolutely. He wants to. So he had to forget, and this was a key, he had to forget what was behind, and he did it by faith. We talk about and think about faith as, you know, doing great things for God and applying and seeing and praying and faith and faith and believing. But do we believe that the blood is greater than our past? We have to if we're going to walk in the fullness of what God has. You know, the enemy would love to just replay all of those things all the time to keep us down. But that's the stuff that depression is made of. <laughs> People get depressed because they replay a lot of things. The enemy wants us there. God doesn't. Sometimes it's easier to jump on board and accept the thoughts than to start speaking new thoughts over ourselves. But the new thoughts, the thoughts that God gives, those are the thoughts that bring freedom. So I'll share with you a little story about myself because it seems like that's a lot of my analogies. <laughs> If the enemy can stop you with discouragement, that's part of his strategy. And he doesn't just work it on you, he works it on everyone. He has done it for centuries. In fact, he knows families. The same thing that has worked in this family for years and years and years, I'm going to do it on the new generation, and we're going to hold this family in bondage. He does it by thinking those thoughts over and over and over again. So... He comes to us, and he doesn't come with some new idea or some distant idea. He comes with things that are close to you, things that you recognize. So Pastor Mark and I were attending this conference. It was called the Legacy Conference, and it was, somebody asked me, how long ago was that? It was a long time ago. So it was this Legacy Conference, and we were going, and we were learning about Legacy, 
and about you know, what God wants to do, how he uses generations, how uh, God has moved before and he'll do it again. And there was, there's just so much in this and it was so rich and we were having such a good time and learning so much and it was so good. And I, we were just talking about that stuff. And we went to, uh, after the meetings, the one day we went to have tacos and we're sitting, we're talking about what God's doing. We're talking about things. But then somehow the conversation turned from talking about what God was doing to talking about us. And then it turned from things that, you know, we were talking about each other that turned, you know, even darker. And it just got not good. And I, and I was like, I can't believe you said that about me. And then I said some stuff, too, that maybe I shouldn't have said. And then he was like, I can't believe you said that. And then I was like, well, you shouldn't have said that. And then it just got to this place where then it was like, all of a sudden, I was mad at him. And... I didn't want to be at a legacy conference because I didn't even know if I like you, you know. <laughs> and then I went to bed with all of those feelings and then I got up the next morning and the devil's just been working on me. And so it wasn't just I don't like you, it was like I don't like me now. So I don't like you and I don't like me and the devil starts playing all kinds of things. Like, that's right, you're never going to change. You always fall for these things. You're always going to do that. You failed again. You'll never be able to be used of God. He can't even talk to you. You can't hear him. You should just be quiet. You have no part in the good things that God has because you just can't grow up. You can't learn. <laughs> All of those things. Nobody likes you. And then I started thinking, that's right. And Debbie Turkle said in fourth grade that nobody liked me. <laughs> and I'm still in that place. Nobody likes me. I have no friends. And I remember that time when I had a party and absolutely nobody came, Greg Fritz was staying at our house and I was telling the guys all day, I'm like, you guys are gonna have to go because we're having this party tonight and this house is gonna be full of ladies. You guys are gonna have to find something to do. And then all of a sudden, nobody came to my party and I'm looking at the guys going, oh my gosh, I can't believe nobody came to my party. And it's the truth. And I started thinking, it's because nobody likes me. Debbie Turkle said nobody liked me and now it's true, nobody likes me. Well, the devil leaves out like that was the greatest snowstorm we had had all year. Nobody could even get out of their house. So <laughs> I just went to my bedroom and cried though, you know. I mean, that was it. So all of these things start playing, and they're like videos. You know, as soon as we accept the thought, now we have all the thoughts, and they're bombarding us, and they're coming one after another, and there's reinforcement. So now there's such a self-consciousness that I can't be serving God because I'm so concerned about myself. I don't care about you. <laughs> I don't care about anybody. I am so full of myself. And do you know that that's how the devil fell from heaven? He got so concerned about himself, and he's using the same strategy on us. He says, if I can make you so self-conscious and sin-conscious, you will not be effective for God. And he uses that strategy. So now I have a decision to make. We're at this conference, and I'm just mad, and, and it's lasting. And now we're going to the next meeting because we are still going to the meetings. So, <laughs> and I'm, yeah, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> so I'm there and um, they usher us into a row and there's a seat beside me and I'm like, good, because I don't want to talk to anybody. Put my coat and my purse down and I'm just like, oh, 
oh, you know, don't like him, don't like me, don't like being here, wish I was somewhere else, wish I was someone else, you know, all of that. And so now uh, I see an usher at the end of the aisle going, is that seat open? And I'm like, oh my God, leave me alone. No, it's not. I'm just going to worship and I'm going to pretend like I don't see you. So I put my arms up and I'm turning the other way. And he tells this man, he goes, I think that seat's open. Go sit there. So this man is like scooting in front of me and I'm like, oh, you know. <laughs> not being nice at all. Super not nice. And this man wants to talk. He comes in and he goes, hi, I'm Cliff. I'm like, great. <laughs> and he goes, what's your name? I said, Tasha. Like, stop talking to me now. You know, not nice. And he goes, oh, is that your husband? Yes. And he goes, what's his name? I said, Mark. And then I just like, you know, I'm talking to God. <laughs> Don't talk to me anymore. So before I left, Cliff gives me a note. If we won't listen to God, God's going to get you the message no matter what. Cliff was there for me, and I'm your Cliff today if <laughs> you're having a problem. But this is what Cliff's note said. Oh, and then we got in the car. I just stuck it in my bag, and I went out to the car. I didn't even wait for Mark, and so he's like looking for me like, where were you? I, I was looking for you in the lobby. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm just, I'm at the car. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, and that weird guy gave me a note. <laughs> so this is what it says. It says, Mark and Tasha, my name is Cliff. I have been praying for you since I was seated. He obviously knew. That there was a need. <laughs> okay, anyway, I have been praying for you since I was seated. Please permit me to share a few words. I believe that God has laid on my heart for you. It is no accident that God has brought you to this conference. Life is tough on Christians, especially Christian marriages. You are here together, and God is here for you. You have a wonderful opportunity to pour into the lives of other couples. You have a great strength of character. I swear, I, I don't even know how he knew that. It's the spirit of God. <laughs> he says, you are givers of life. When you give life, you receive more life. God keeps filling your cup and you're overflowing. The more you give, the more you receive. Give and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give to your bosom. Live life to the fullest. Don't hold back. You have so much to give. Your legacy is found in living or giving yourselves to others. You're blessed and you're a blessing. You are created for greatness. Exclamation point. Study Romans 8. It begins with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. Have a great life and live it to the fullest. Right? Wow. I, I was so thankful for Cliff that day. <laughs> okay, not in the moment he sat by me, but that moment in the car, it just broke my heart. 
And I started bawling. And I said, okay, maybe he wasn't so weird. Okay, I'm sorry to my husband. I said, I'm sorry. And he said, I'm sorry too. And you know what? We got right back on track. We confessed it. We didn't let the devil bring it back up. We didn't rehearse. In fact, he still doesn't even remember it to this day. It's so cleansed from his conscience that, <laughs> that when I brought this out, I said, remember when we had that fight and Cliff wrote me this note? I might talk about that. He's like, what? I said, he goes, what is that? Um, obviously, <laughs> God's done a great work in you. So, <laughs> so thank God for people like Cliff. Condemnation is a tool of the enemy to hold us down. And he wants us to be ineffective. He doesn't want us to be bold. He doesn't want us to step out. Why would we put ourselves in partnership with the enemy and agreeing with his thoughts and replaying his thoughts? Why would we do that? When God has things like, you're created for greatness. You're created for greatness. God has so much more for us. So this morning, we're going to take Cliff's advice in our last moments here, and we're going to go to Romans, Romans 8. He says, start with Romans, or go to Romans 8. It starts with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. Romans 8.1 says this, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And I said, one of the greatest acts of faith that we will ever do is to say, Lord, I missed it. I received the blood. I'm not going to think about this anymore. This is not going to stop me. I'm moving on with you. When we read this, we say that there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Do you know the moment that we pray, 1 John 1, 9, he cleanses our conscience. If we pick that back up, it's because we did, not because he remembered it. It's because we did. So we have to commit to say, there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Arthur S. Wace, in his writings, says about this verse, no sentence of condemnation, therefore, can lie against those whose life is in union with the Messiah. I love that. It's a lie. It's a lie that the enemy brings up. J.B. Phillips' New Testament in modern English says this, no condemnation now hangs over the head of those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not hanging over our head. God doesn't dangle it and say, Oh yeah, remember that time? No, that's the devil. And we have to recognize the difference between our heart condemning us so that we can repent or the enemy bringing condemnation. The enemy is the one who holds it over our head. And we have to say no. When God convicts us, we pray, we get it right, the blood cleanses us. So there's nothing hanging over our head. Johnson Ben Campbell paraphrase says this, there is... Now there is no accusing voice nagging those who are united to Christ. The devil is such a nag. He's such a nag. He just nags all the time. Ever been around somebody who nags? The devil. He does it. We just haven't recognized it. But after today, we're going to. 
Romans 8.30 says this. It says, and those whom he thus foreordained, he also called. See, it comes back to what Andrew Murray said. God had a plan for us. He called us into fellowship with him. And the plan of redemption restored us to that. And so it says here, those whom he foreordained, he called. Those whom he called, he justified. It means acquitted, made righteous, putting them in right standing with himself. And I love this word justified, and you can remember it like this. When we are justified, we are just as if I'd never, whatever the thing was that separated us from God. We're justified. So he says he justified, and not only that, those whom he justified, he also glorified. Wow. Frank Laubach says he gave his own glory to those whose charges he cleared. He gave us his glory. Isn't that powerful? Romans 8.33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Wow. God is so good to us. He is so good. He covered everything. The enemy would try and keep us down with self-condemnation, with sin consciousness, but we have got to be good at understanding who we are in Christ and speak that over ourselves. Remember that more than the other. We've got to remember who we are in Christ. We've got to take our place because God has not given up on this partnership. And he was affected with that sin as much as we were affected with that sin. And when he sent Jesus, we don't, be, we don't want to be the one that is not accepting the sacrifice. He's saying, I've done everything I can do to put you back into fellowship. Will you please come? Quit listening to the liar. Will you please listen to me? Oh, man. Isaiah 43, 21, out of the Amplified, says this. The people that I formed for myself, they shall set forth my praise, and they shall do it. They shall. And then he goes on in verse 25, and he says this. I, even I, am he who blots out and cancels your transgressions, for my own sake. See, God did it for his own sake. When I look at myself, I go, thank you, Lord, for doing that for me. And God goes, yeah, I did that for you, but I also did it for me because I wanted you. <laughs> oh, man. God says, we are now in union again. Put me he goes on and he says, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Remind me of your merits. Let us plead and argue together. Set forth your case that you may be justified. Wow. It's so powerful. But you know why the devil doesn't want you to understand who you are in Christ? Because he knows the power of the blood. He knows that that blood was shed 
and that it has never lost its power, that it cleanses our conscience so that we are removed from even the guilt that would keep us from entering into the presence of God. In the presence of God, our life is a praise. It pleases God. Our life before him, we're able to serve him with our whole heart, and that's what he wants. But that's the place that the devil lost. He was the worship leader in heaven, and he didn't value God. He didn't value the anointing. He looked at himself. And now our praise and our worship and our life is that. We took his place. But not only that, there's no blood that was shed for him. He will never get that place back. And he wants you to not have that place. So if he can keep you thinking about yourself and so stuck on what you have done wrong, then you will be ineffective for the kingdom. But we have the blood. We have the blood. And you know, just like on your computer, you can delete files. <laughs> we need to delete the files that the enemy has saved. We need to delete those. When that comes back up, we need to go, oh, oh yeah, I remember that day. Delete. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember what that person said. Delete. You know, when you delete things, they cannot be recovered if you delete them properly. <laughs> and the blood does that. The blood does that. Hebrews 9.14 out of the King James Version says this, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know, cleanse is a really good word, but the King James Version says purge. We know what that word means. Purge means to delete it. It's gone. It's done. So there's stuff that we need to purge. You know, I just purged my closet of some stuff. I took it to Goodwill. It's never to be seen by me again. <laughs> I might see it on somebody else walking around. But then I can tell them, you know what? That did not look good on me. That did not look good on you. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's what we do with the thoughts of the enemy, though, right? We say, I'm going to purge that. I'm going to get rid of it. This stuff doesn't fit me anymore. This stuff is out of date. It's out of fashion. It's out of my closet. And now I'm going to make room for new things. You know, part of Isaiah that we didn't read. He says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. It's Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive and know it? And will you not give heed to it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Boy, God's good at making ways. He's doing a new thing. But he says to them, will you not perceive and know it? And will you not give heed to it? So this morning, I hope we got a greater understanding of the depth that he went to to purge our conscience. Purge our conscience from dead works so that we can serve the living God. We are called to serve him. And when we serve him, it's the greatest joy of our life. Man, he fills us with his presence, with his peace, with his joy. He blesses our life. 
but we have to receive it. We have to receive the new thing. And that means getting rid of the old thing. So, stand with me. There's an eternal covenant by the eternal spirit for an eternal redemption. And if we receive the eternal truths, they produce eternal results. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray together. If you've heard this message and you're saying, I know God has great plans for me, but I'm in that place where I need to pray and I need to repent. Well, guess what? Today's your day. Today's your day. And we're going to open our hearts to Him and we'll all pray together. But if that's you and you pray this prayer for the first time, make sure you come up front to the people who will be here. There are altar care workers and they have a gift for you. They want to let you know the great decision that you made today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus that cleanses me from all my sin. I thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice that reconciles and restores my life. I ask you to be my Lord today. And I look to you as Lord. Lead me in truth. Lead me in paths of righteousness. And show me the plan you have for my life. I thank you that I'm your child. And you're my father. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for redeeming me. And thank you for the blood. Amen. You know, it's good to pray prayers like that, not just once, twice, not just as we are born again, but they're prayers of consecration that continue to lay our heart before him so that he can always be working in us and with us. It's powerful. Well, tonight we have Reverend Max Dom with us. It's going to be great. I was talking to him on the phone last night. He's super excited to come. He has a message for you. He's going to share about what God's doing in Romania. They received so many of those Ukrainian refugees, and we helped them do that. And so he has a report on that as well as other things. But it's going to be great. So let somebody know about it. Come tonight. Uh, it's going to be good. All right. Say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus. Far, exceeds far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. Amen.